Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is the day after the Nova Scotia provincial uh, leaders debate, uh, the three main party leaders had a chance to square off and have a 90 minute conversation about the issues. And I, I know Jim Vibert had his thoughts, um, so land fair served up. Uh, and if you were watching the event last night, you would see that, uh, well, uh, as she said the last time, uh, it's in Rankin's election to lose. And clearly the leaders of the New Democratic Party and the progressive conservatives decided that he would be their main uh, focus. And Dr. Lori Turnbull is joining us here, political scientist with Dalhousie University. Uh, Lori, did you get a chance to uh, watch last night's debate? I did. Yep. And did you see it as a bland affair? Did you see it as uh, the NDP and conservatives piling on against the leader? How did you interpret what happened last night? Yeah, I mean, like it, it wasn't super exciting. Um, there were no knockout punches. There were no like moments where you thought, oh, wow, you know, like he totally nailed that. Like it was a pretty standard um, back and forth about the issues that we knew we know are important. Right. So lots of health care and biodiversity and and diversity and inclusion and things like that. So, I mean, there weren't really any surprises. I think, yeah, like obviously Rankin is the guy to beat. And so both Houston and uh, Burrill tried to get at him about his record on healthcare and other things. But essentially I thought it was a, a like a pretty even exchange. Again, I didn't, I didn't see any clear person who came first or person who came last. If you were watching it as a party supporter, you probably thought, you know, your guy won. That's the sense I got from watching a reaction on Twitter last night that everyone who would probably project how they lean politically were pretty much of the mind their person won, their yeah. guy, their guy won. Uh, and, you know, the the uh, the idea that the uh, focus was on health care r- right from the first moments uh, from St- from uh, from Tim Houston's uh, opening. He, he was talking about health care being the number one issue. And earlier in the week, uh, the liberals mentioned health care in their plan, saying we're going to put some more money into it. Do you, do you think there's this, perhaps, um, you know, that's what the party leaders are hearing on the doorsteps. And that's why they're perhaps pivoting to that issue as being the most important part. For sure. I think, um, I mean, health care usually is the most important issue in an election in Nova Scotia. It's always it seems to me a two-sided conversation around here are the things that we need to do. Here are the programs that, that are going to cost the most and healthcare obviously is a huge one. And then on the other side of that, how are we going to pay for it? And so the economy is, is and healthcare are just two sides of the same coin. How are we going to be able to generate enough revenue to be able to afford better care? I thought it was, I thought the leaders actually did a pretty good job of differentiating themselves a bit. As I found so far in the campaign, you hear a lot of similar messaging from the parties. And so the debate gave them a bit of an opportunity to see how they would focus differently if they were premier. And so Houston really going at uh, the family doctor issue, as opposed to Rankin talking a bit more about collaborative care. And so we I, we learned, you know, if you were listening, if you were watching, you, you could learn a little bit more about how the leaders wanted to approach it. But yeah, I'm sure they're hearing a lot about healthcare, long-term care, and also gr- how to grow back the economy after COVID. 
There was, and I noticed some reaction, uh, the comment about affordable housing, that was another topic that the, the leaders were asked about specifically. And uh, Ian Rankin seemed to suggest, you know, some people need to have an Airbnb and they're struggling to pay the bills. And others said that kind of misses what is really at the heart of why people are concerned about rent control. And, you know, it was a, a direct question. Do you support rent control? The NDP leader was the only one who did. So what, what did you make of that exchange? Yeah, this is an issue that came up a lot and definitely came up a lot during COVID. And um, the Liberals were kind of hesitant at the time to put in any kind of rent control. And when they did, they put an expiry date on it. And so it's clear, you know, Rankin doesn't want to make that change. Houston doesn't want to make that change. Their response is let's grow housing and grow opportunities and grow that market as opposed to putting rent control. Whereas, you know, Burrill just kept mentioning he, we are the only ones who would put in rent control. I mean, we're, I think we're the only province who doesn't have it. It might be maybe I've heard Saskatchewan maybe doesn't have it, but like it's, we're not in, you know, <laughs> like the majority of provinces do regulate this. And so I think when Burrill is saying that, you know, he's really, it's in keeping with his message about who has been left behind by the Liberal government. He's talking to supporters who are concerned about um, people who are struggling. It's not so much that I think, you know, people are, if you look around Halifax, there's lots of development. The concern is, is, but I mean, there's, we still had really low vacancy rates in the last few years, but I think the concern is really that affordable housing side and, you know, rent control being something that would protect vulnerable families and vulnerable individuals. And so, you know, interesting exchange on that for sure. But I like Brill has been, Brill has very much, very much hinged his campaign on that issue. And he's the only leader who's had experience in a, a leader's debate, uh, having been the leader in the last election. Uh, there was also what I would assume was uh, seen as a, a weak point or, or a weakness, uh, talking about Owl's Head, the golf course development project that uh, Ian Rankin had said, well, people in the community want this, so that's why we should go forward with it. Um, and, and I really had a hard time figuring out what he was trying to say with the issue on fixed elections. The other two parties said, yes, we need fixed election dates. Uh, Ian Rankin's answer was, well, well, if we had fixed election dates, we would have been in an election uh, during the third wave. But people are saying, but that's a that's a one time thing, the pandemic, hopefully. Yeah. And it didn't seem to be a very strong argument as to why he chose. Uh, he's choosing not to make that a, a, something that they want to commit to. Yeah. So on your first point about about um, like the owl's head and talking to communities and stuff that seemed to come up a lot for him. He kept saying, um, you know, he won't close a hospital unless he talks to the community. He won't do this or that without talking to the community. It's like, yeah, okay, but, you know, it's good to talk to the community. But what do you want to do? Like, what is your plan? What is your vision? What will you do if the community split on the issue? What will you do if the community doesn't engage back? Well, like, it just seemed to me that that sometimes leaves more questions than answers in the sense that you're wondering, but where does the party stand on the issue and where do you stand yourself on the issue of fixed election dates? Yeah. I mean like this, we are the only province that doesn't have them and every other province and the federal jurisdiction and territories to face the same realities that we do. Yes, there could be a, an emergency. I don't, I, I certainly hope that COVID's not going to keep happening. I don't think COVID is a strong argument against fixed elections. There are many arguments for fixed elections and also there are provisions and I won't, you know, get into the boring details of constitutional back and forth, but there are provisions so that no, we wouldn't have to have an election, even if it was fixed during a time of emergency, there are ways to move that to get people involved so that we can have an election at a time that is safe to do so from a public health perspective. 
what did you make of uh, the rather informal uh, tone at times uh, that Tim Houston would be calling the premier by his first name? Uh, and, and it seemed as though some people felt that may not have shown some respect. Granted, uh, he is the liberal leader and it is an election uh, and he uh, certainly has had to answer for some of the policies, not just of his government, but of Stephen McNeil's as well. Yeah, I was so that that's a huge question, Sheldon. I have a lot to say about that. Um, I was wondering how uh, Stephen McNeil would factor into the debate, whether anybody would actually call him by his name or whether he would be referred to in a more general way. And it was it was the latter. It seems Uh, Houston kept talking about Ian's team. So referring to the legacy of the previous government and his participation in Stephen McNeil's government. And I guess, you know, from Houston's perspective, some responsibility on Rankin's part for some of the decisions that Stephen McNeil made. Um, Particularly, he really went at him over the the lack of um, not giving enough to Northwood, things like that. So, I mean... It's a tactic, I guess, to decide, are you going to refer to your opponents in a formal way? Are you going to refer them to them in an informal way? And how will that be a reflection on you? Um, I did notice the kind of informality of referring to people by their first name. It, it ended up being kind of offside when the moderators were referring to each as Mr. You know, Mr. Rankin, Mr. Burrell, Mr. Houston. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know whether that that strategy would work for him or not. Because the other thing too is that Houston's is. I mean, clearly, Houston wants to be premier. He. It seemed to me. You know, he showed up at this thing last night, the hungriest. Um, you know, very, very determined. Very, very, and and his own approach is is very polished, very formal. So I'm not sure if they're referring to his opponents by their first names is going to really work, <laughs> whether that made a good impression on people or not. Uh, there was certainly um, a, a jab taken, a swipe taken by Tim Houston at uh, Ian Rankin over the issue of the young woman who was forced to resign and who was told to use her mental health as the excuse. And uh, there was also before that, you know, a very, um, they would call it a subtweet uh, saying, you know, and the party accepted the nomination of someone who was twice caught doing something illegal. Um, and, and Ian Rankin called that a cheap political stunt in a debate. If you listen between when they were talking over each other, uh, what did you take from, from that that he didn't, he wasn't called out specifically and directly by name? Yeah, I mean, I think Definitely, they wanted to get at. They wanted to get that out, you know, during the leaders' debate. Uh, Houston wanted to be able to put that on the record and go at Rankin for that, and that came later in the night, right? Like, in for the most part, the I would say the tone before that had been quite civilized. And again, as you say, apart from them trying to speak over one another, which was kind of annoying. Yeah, I mean, I think he's sort of trying to he's trying to box Rankin in and have him say something you know, something speak to the fact that there seems to be a double standard here and that, you know, he himself has had, um, he, he has a DUI and yet this other candidate who has, has done nothing wrong found herself, um, you know, excused from the ballot. And so I think, you know, I, I don't think that Rankin got into it in any detail at all. He basically said, you know, I'm not going to talk to her through you. So I've got nothing else to say about it. I also thought it was interesting on a separate note that Rankin, tried to drop a line between the federal conservatives and Houston's progressive conservatives. And he sort of said, you know, there's, I know that there are people in your party who, who feel some of the same things that the conservatives feel federally sort of thing. And Houston just, I thought he quite effectively actually dealt with that and said, 
no, you know, we're, we're a progressive party. And then he spoke to issues of diversity inclusion. And so I think, you know, that was an interesting exchange too, and something that Rankin may have wanted to get in there to try to, to leverage a bit what happened in Cumberland North, but that didn't seem to go anywhere. And ultimately, um, as we say, no knockout punches. Uh, there were no decisive moments no. that would perhaps change votes. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about this because I, I did note, I put this out on my Twitter last night. Did you watch the debate? Uh, and, you know, not bad reaction for the fact that, you know, it is the summer. And, but my follow-up question was very interesting. So who do you think won? And if I look at these numbers, um, Dr. Lori Turnbull, I would almost say we could very well have a minority government. And I'm wondering what you think of that. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's going to go that way, too, just because um, I think it, de- it like that will depend on voter turnout. It depends on whether people are really engaged. I think if people are totally sleeping through this, that might be good news for Rankin in the sense that his numbers were good going in and, you know, he's the incumbent. And at the same time, though, there's a lot of candidates who aren't reoffering. And so incumbency isn't a factor in as many writings as it was, for instance, in the previous election. But I think it's possible, though, that if people are switched on and it's still early, right, this debate was early in the campaign. We still got a few weeks to go. But I think it's possible that if people do get engaged and they start listening and if they're not, um, you know, if they're not, if people are not keen to give the liberals a third mandate, they'll start to look around. And the other parties are putting up, um, you know, platforms that are not you know, madly off in all directions necessarily. I think Brill, you know, faces some some pressure over, you know, we understand the things you want to do, but how are you going to pay for those things? And so, you know, we'll, we'll see how the rest of it unfolds. But at this point, I think you're right. A minority is definitely a possibility. It's a post-debate day, and it's a busy one for Dr. Lori Turnbull. Thank you for giving some time to us today on this issue. Anytime, Sheldon. Thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.